FAMU knocks off Bethune-Cookman to become the 2023 SWAC baseball champions in a battle of great pitchers. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. I appreciate you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every day. You know that I do appreciate it. Just because the mic cuts off, it doesn't mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter at South Exclusive. Starts with an S and ends with an S. Today's episode will wrap up with North Carolina A&T track and field not missing a beat after losing their star head coach last year. But we have a doubleheader. Kind of doubleheaders and back-to-backs were kind of the theme of the SWAC tournament this year in baseball. But this was the first time that FAMU and Bethune-Cookman faced off. Let's look at how star pitching impacted the performance and then also each of their roads to the championship game. But I didn't want to bury the lead. Let's start off with FAMU's victory because FAMU came up victorious in the Battle of Florida in the SWAC championship game. Now, I believe... That fam, you outplayed Bethune-Cookman on every single level. They were better in pitching. They were better in batting. They were better in fielding. I just thought they were the better team on Sunday. Matter of fact, I'm recording this right after. The game stopped, I think, 30 minutes ago, maybe? Let me check the phone. Let me see what time this is. Yeah, the game ended about 30, 40 minutes ago. We on and we recording. I'll probably give it to you early in the morning because that's just more my style. I prefer that. But nevertheless, or no, as a matter of fact, I'll give you late tonight. That's what I'll do. I'll drop this episode late tonight on YouTube, and then I'll drop it early in the morning on the audio side. Quick decision, and now that I said it, that's what we're going to do. But overall, I just felt like they were better on every single level, but the pitching was the highlight. The pitching was the thing, in my opinion, of the batting, of the fielding, of the pitching. That was the one that stood out the most, and I think it was one of the deciding factors. Obviously, there's no pitching without batting, but I look at the star pitchers because in this game, you had three all-swag pitchers, right? So you had Hunter Vietz from FAMU, and Hunter was a second-team all-swag player. But then you had Nolan Santos, and then you also had Joan Gonzalez from Bethune-Cookman. Now, Santos was a first-team all-swag pitcher, then you had Gonzalez, who was a first-team all-swag relief pitcher. So these are three stud pitchers out there in one game? Yeah, this is going to be must-watch. But the difference, or excuse me, the, the matchup that people are watching are the starters. It's Santos versus Vietz. And I feel like Vietz outperformed and outlasted Santos, and that was the reason why FAMU won the game. That was a deciding factor. Now, Santos played... Six innings, six full innings. Meanwhile, Vietz played seven and some change. So he went into the eighth inning. I think he had two outs 
in the sec in the eighth inning, and then he finally came out the game. So first off, more time played. That's first and foremost. Nearly nearly two innings of difference played in favor of Vitz. But then also, they both gave up five innings or five five runs. It's about how they did it though. See, Santos, he came out off rip, three runs given up in the first inning. You're fresh. You're 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 still energized, right? But you look at Vitz's end of his time in the eighth inning he wasn't even supposed to be in the eighth inning he was supposed to stop at seven and come out but he pushed coach to go beyond his limit and then come into the game that ultimately ended up being not the best idea because Vitz gave up a two-run homer and then he also gave up a, a walk after that immediately after that you could kind of tell the fatigue was there in the eighth inning and then he gave up a hit and coach said no we're not going to put ourselves at a disadvantage you played a great game and we're going to cut you off here. And I thought it was the right choice. You seen when All Day Murray came in, he was just the fresher pitcher and he had more effective pitches. It just didn't feel like, yeah, sometimes you hit a small slump in the middle of your of your game, but it just didn't feel like Vitz was going to bounce back. It felt like Vitz had tired out. He was past 100 pitches at that point. He was past his limit. So that difference of when you gave up your 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 uh, runs, your difference in, because also you had the batting of FAMU, because obviously Santos was struggling. But it wasn't just Santos. Really, matter of fact, I would say that because after those three runs, Santos got it together. He kind of gathered himself, and he was pretty solid until it was time for him to come out. He did give up, give up two more runs after that, but he was pretty solid, and he didn't have an inning like he did the first inning. But after he went out in the seventh and eighth inning, Bethune-Cookman just floundered. And I really feel like that's where they lost the game because in that two-inning span, you gave up three runs, but you also gave up two home runs, and you went through three pitchers. So, like, there was no consistency. It felt like there was no real trust, and it maybe felt like Gonzalez should have been the first guy to come out there because nobody had any kind of rope. There was no sort of rope for any of the other pitchers because first pitcher comes out, gives up a home run. Take him out. That was, it was There was no outs in the seventh inning by the time he was taken out of the game. So that was quick. It was only one homer. Then you look at the next pitcher. You give up a home run in the eighth inning. So you, you fare better in the – you didn't give up anything else in the seventh. You fare better. But in the eighth, you give up another home run. And now the third guy, Gonzalez, comes in. And Gonzalez does give up a run in the ninth, but he doesn't give up a home run, and he ends up concluding the game. Maybe if the relief pitcher was next right after Santos, so you had your two stud pitchers coming in, maybe this game looks a little different towards the back end. I don't know. But that was a big difference. Seventh, eighth inning, you're floundering. You know, like that 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 was that was a time where you began to put some pressure on the Veets, especially in that eighth inning. But what you gave up defensively in the seventh and eighth, it just kind of canceled that out and it put yourself at a disadvantage. Meanwhile, them heavy hitters at FAMU, who had a program record in doubles, were second in the SWAC in home runs at 66, only two of the three teams in the SWAC to go over 60 home runs. They were in full effect and they had a run in the eighth and in the ninth. In that ninth inning run, that one in the top of the ninth really put it out of reach because you had a four-run lead at that point. And the fielding was really good for FAMU. They had two double plays that day. Like I told you, every single level, they were just better than Bethune-Cookman. And once you had a four-run lead, you felt pretty safe. You felt pretty safe. I know you gave that up against Alabama State in the second game of the tournament, but you felt pretty safe with that four-run lead. 
and all day Murray did exactly what he needed to. The fielding was good. It was only right that the fielding closed it out. And FAMU became your 2023 SWAC baseball champions. And we'll find out who they're going to be facing Monday afternoon in the selection show. So make sure you're checking that out. A lot of people think it could be either Florida or Miami when they go in the regionals. But going forward, I want to take a step back. I want to look at the at a bigger picture, right? Because we had a narrow focus on this game. But let's take a larger scope and look at how Bethune-Cookman and FAMU made it to the championship game because I thought it was kind of unpredictable the route that they took to make it to where they got to. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the number one protein bar on the market, bar none. Bar none, bar none, bar none. How many of you actually tried out what I recommended to you? I told you, get whatever flavor you want. I recommend cookies and cream because cookies and cream is in a lot of different protein bars. Put them all on the table. I promise you, Built Bar will be number one. A friend of mine texted me, hey man, are Built Bars really that good? I said, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I stand by what I say. I stand by what I said on that podcast. He said, I'm going to go try them out. I blessed them. I blessed them. All right. I want to bless you too with you DM me at South Exclusives. I'll tell you, they really are this good. I'll give you the full spill, copy and paste. But here's the thing. I say cookies and cream, but there's so many other flavors when it comes to Built Bar. These other protein bars have a standard four or five flavors. Built Bar feels like they have 40, 50. I know it's not that much, but that's how much it feels like because they come up with specialty flavors all the time. Go get you a variety pack at Sam's Club. It's a 13-pack variety. Go to Walmart, get you a four-pack. If you have a favorite flavor, probably cookies and cream will be available. There's so many things. Or just go to Built.com and not have to worry about what's already in store. Go to Built.com slash locked on. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your offer. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. On tomorrow's episode, we'll be diving into Gary Quarles' move to Southern from Alabama A&M and how this adds to a kind of an already stacked running back room at Southern. But right now, we're focusing on baseball. Right now, we're focusing on the SWAC tournament as a whole. We focused on the game. Now, I want to look at the two participants because, I honestly... I think the way they got there was unpredictable. I don't want to be disrespectful to these two teams. I want to make sure that I'm emphasizing that it's the route that they got there, not the fact that they got there. Though I would say that a FAMU versus Bethune-Cookman SWAC tournament final was relatively unexpected. I don't think many people would have predicted those two to face off in the final, but maybe one or the other could have got there. These are the third and fourth best teams in the conference this year. Bethune-Cookman won 20 games in the conference. Like, these aren't Rudy Poos. So when I say unpredictable, it's not about who they are. And I'll say that, and that might seem like I'm beating a dead horse, but I'll say it over and over because I don't want that to be lost in translation as I, talked about, as I talk about the unpredictable nature that came with the route they took. All right, now, with that all being there, that disclaimer that I might give later on, many people thought it was going to be one and two. So though they were three and four, many people thought It'd be one and two, but definitely number one. Everybody expected Alabama State to be back in the finals as they were the best team in the conference this year. They were the defending champions from last year. It just felt like everything was lined up for them to come in and at least be in the finals. So the fact that they weren't, I would say, was a shocker. Fam, you knocked them out. I would say the fact that fam, you knocked them out was a shocker. 
you know? Bethune-Cookman, they took care of Grambling. But let's look into FAMU first because I thought FAMU was the more surprising of the two. And let me tell you why. First off, I've already outlined Alabama State. So this was a Goliath-type team, or at least it felt like, right? So no matter who knocked them off, no matter who knocked off Alabama State baseball team, people went, oh, okay, that's an upset. That was a clear-cut upset. But the fact that it was FAMU, to me, made it even more of an upset because FAMU hasn't been good against Alabama State this year. Like, they just haven't had success, I'll say that. There have been some close games, so I won't say they weren't good. But they just weren't successful against Alabama State. ASU had their number every single time except for one. In the regular season, they faced off six times. They had two series. Alabama State won both of those series, swept one, and went two and one in the other. You had a couple of games that went into extra innings, so the fact that they were close isn't insane. But if you were to ask me, hey, Alabama State and FAMU face off three times, and ASU needs to win two of those games, who's going to win? I'm going to say ASU. I'm gonna put my, I'd put my money on Bama State. Good thing FanDuel didn't ask me to use those odds because I would have lost that. And then when you look at the first game they played, Alabama State won. No shocker. No, no shocker at all. That's not a surprise. Nobody was, oh, my gosh, can't believe that. Now, maybe the way it happened, because you gave up that, that lead, as I said earlier in the program, you gave up that lead, you were up 8-4 to four and ended up giving up five runs in the ninth inning. That was a tough one. That was an extremely tough break in that game. And maybe that fueled them because they went into the loser bracket after that. They had to beat Prairie View in the first game of the loser bracket. Then they got back to Alabama State. They had to beat ASU two times, something they had not done all year. They had only beat them once and now seven attempts. So now in attempt eight and nine, you had to be perfect. And that's exactly what they were. They won both of those games. They actually won a game 8-4. Instead of giving up an 8-4 lead, they, won, they went ahead and closed them out at 8-4. FAMU's batting had been phenomenal pretty much all postseason, all SWAC tournament. They had been pretty good at bat. And this is consistent with what they were able to do in the first, not in the first, in the uh, regular season, excuse me. So I'm not going to say the fact that they made it is surprising, but the fact that they went through Alabama State, a team they did not have too much success against all year. They had ample amount of opportunities. They just didn't do it. So the fact that they were able to get it done when it counted the most was big time, and it kind of felt like they were destined to win this, although they were the fourth of the three of the three four that I said between Bethune-Cookman and Alabama State, and, and FAMU, excuse me. So now you get to Bethune-Cookman, and when you get to Bethune-Cookman, them knocking off Grambling wasn't that much of a surprise. Them knocking off Grambling wasn't like, oh, wow, didn't see that coming, for a couple of reasons. One, Bethune-Cookman did win. 20 all conference or all excuse me 20 conference games within the SWAC but then all together they have more victories in season than Grambling right so I think a lot of people probably thought Grambling would make it but if you told them they lost to Bethune-Cookman I don't know how much of a shocker that really would have been so also another reason it's not as surprising is because there is no Alabama State FAMU dynamic there is no we beat you five out of the six times that we played in the regular season. Matter of fact, Bethune-Cookman and Grambling didn't play during the regular season. We have no idea how these two teams match up until now. They had to beat Grambling two times because just like FAMU, they were in the loser bracket even earlier. See, that's the thing. It's not about knocking off these two Goliaths, right? Because I don't even know if I consider Grambling a Goliath. I think they're a good team, but Alabama State was the Goliath. 
that was an that was a part of fam you's story but as far as bethune cookman and what links them together it's not about who they beat as far as giants is about the fact that they went into the loser bracket pretty early fam you was in the loser bracket game two bethune cookman was, was in the loser bracket game one they lost their first game so if i told you that fam you and bethune cookman were in the loser bracket and then had to go through the top two seeds and knock them both off two times with absolutely no way to lose a game and come back this is a double elimination you already lost your first one if I would have told you those were the circumstances that these teams were going up against, against the teams that they were going up against, you likely would have thought that the SWAC tournament final would have been Alabama State versus Grambling, maybe Alabama State versus Bethune-Cookman. But the fact that it was FAMU versus Bethune-Cookman with the odds and the teams that they had to go against, to me, is the reason I would, cl I would classify this as being an unpredictable route. To the SWAC championship game and ultimately fam you was able to pull it out and they'll be going in the regionals like I said facing probably either Florida or Miami in the regionals between June 2nd and 5th I believe now going forward we're going to switch gears we're going to go off of baseball and go to track and field because North Carolina A&T lost their head coach Dwayne Ross to Tennessee over the offseason yet and still they did not skip a beat and we'll dive into exactly what that means as we wrap up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. And as we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day, making it all the way to segment three. You know that I thank you two times for that. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate it. It. Now, with all that being said, with all of that being said, let's get into the last segment of the show. And that's North Carolina A&T track and field not skipping a single beat despite losing not only their head coach, but then also their star runner in Randolph Ross. So, I mean, that just, duh. It's, his co it's the coach's son. Like, what do we expect, right? You know, coach goes to Tennessee. His son's going to come to Tennessee, too. But I felt the fact that the Aggies were able to send Five events, six individuals, because one's a relay with some overlap between the individual people. Five events will be represented by North Carolina A&T and the NCAA Nationals and the NCAA Championships. I think that's a win. Like, to me, that is a win because a lot has changed. A lot has changed. You lost your coach. And when you lose your coach who has built up this foundation, there's always a question of if the foundation is sturdy. Dwayne Ross left. And everything he built, people are wondering, how tall is it going to stand? How firm is it going to stand? North Carolina A&T answered the question for this year that we didn't lose everything he showed us. We still have a lot of talent. We still have a lot of depth on this team. I mean, they were successful in, in they're one of the best teams in the nation last year. So this shouldn't be of any shock. But at the same time, when you lose coaches, people are they're going to look twice at you and see what can you provide. And I think that A&T provides stability. And this year, they'll be represented by Shamar Chambers. Or excuse me, by, yeah, by Shamar Chambers and Raheem Hayes. So you're looking at two runners who, in the 400, which was Randolph Ross's event, they're coming in. They, they were deep. They were part of that 4x4 team that was there last year. But sometimes when you lose your star, like I said, people are going to double take. People are going to have certain things that they're looking for. Can you replicate? As if this isn't 
an individual team event as if you didn't build up to being one of the best programs in the nation with a bunch of runners with a bunch of field events you would have thought it was just randolph ross but you know what i understand that way of thinking because you also think okay who left what's the development what's the practice like is this new coach going to be ready to do this that and the third i completely understand where people are coming from but i just want to say that those runners from the 4x4 in 2022 they're still here in 2023 and Chambers and Hayes are representative representatives, excuse me, of that. And they showed out. And that's why they're going to be there in the individual events. And then they're also going to be there in the four by four. Then you look at the women, the women's side of it. You have, excuse me, my eye, some got in my eye real quick. But then you also have Jada Griffin and Paula Salmon. And I think that when you look at Salmon, she's been there. Griffin is a new addition that came over with Coach Johnson the new head coach, right? Griffin runs the 400. So the 400 is covered at North Carolina A&T. That's what they do. They got that covered. Men's and women's side, that's going to be covered. But you look at Salmon, who she's been to nationals before. She's been an All-American before. This isn't new to her, but she wasn't having a success that she wanted to this year. And she finally got under, underneath 13 seconds in that 100-meter hurdles. And that's something that she's been waiting to get. She was waiting to get sub-13. And she hadn't done it all season. But then you see two events to qualify for nationals. She gets under 13. So I thought this was a great event, and I thought it represented a lot of things. It represented the quality that is still there. It, it represented the stability of North Carolina a and And then most importantly, it represented the depth of their team from last year. Things didn't just bottom out because your coach left. You still have a lot of great runners, a lot of great field events. You know exactly what you're getting with North Carolina a and you're getting high-level track and field. That was true in 2022 when you had Coach Ross. That's true in 2023 when you have Coach Johnson. Ain't nothing changed but the name on the coach. And I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day, nothing changing here, not even the name. I will always be Darian Gray, a.k.a. the mouth of the South. And I really do appreciate y'all going on this journey with me for real. On tomorrow's episode, we'll be diving into Gary Quarles' decision to join the Southern Jaguars. An all-swag running back has just joined the SWAC West defending champions. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.